0: Afternoon, welcome to the panel, RNZ National. I'd look just a word on this, as you heard in the news. You'll hear probably more on this in Checkpoint. RNZ has released the findings of an independent review carried out after a series of stories on published uh, published on its website were altered to include Russian propaganda about the war on Ukraine. One journalist was found to be responsible for the changing 49 stories leading to RNZ's systems and practices being closely examined by a three-person panel. Uh, also noted the journalist denied he was inserting propaganda and insisted he was merely providing. Balance in the stories uh, that was done contrary to the RNZ editorial agreement with Reuters. So, twenty-two recommendations in the wake uh, of that. You'll hear more uh, about that. But needless to say, it's pretty fairly big news in the media. You're in the media yourself, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> I, I am. Alexia, aren't you? Um, <laughs> I, and w- I. what do you make of all this? It's, it's, I think it's, this
1: is good news on two points. Good news that it was found to be just one journalist who's perhaps um, who's set of parameters was misaligned to most New Zealand journalists. Uh, I'll put it that way. And it's also good news that they've identified systemic changes that need to be made. I think incorporating the um, website with the newsroom more closely is a very very good move, not just for quality control but for um, speed, for getting that getting that breaking news up quicker for um, better coordination as to what's happening in the newsroom and what's happening online. Uh, and I think, I think it will, if done well, it will, you know, it'll, it'll work well. I think it's a good so thing. So as,
0: as a journalist, it'll, addre- it'll address, I mean, you work at the call face, it'll address that, um, cr- the, the cross-checking, the cross-checking of facts and that type of stuff?
1: Well, it, I mean, I haven't seen the detail of what they're yeah. going to do. Um, you know, I know in newsroom that we have at least two sets of eyes over every story, and, and we're, we're pretty You know, (laughs) we're not the the richest of uh, organisations, let's put it that way. That's the way it should be, Uh, at least two sets of eyes. But also you've got that buy-in then from the newsroom, between the newsroom and the website and, and people, and also it makes it more exciting for the reporters that they can right, get this up on the website right now, kind of thing. It's more, there'll be more adrenaline pumping in that newsroom, I'm pretty sure.
0: Very good. All right. To this, though, um, ha- has a pay settlement finally been reached for secondary school teachers? Today, the government announced that it was accepting the pay increase recommended by the arbitration panel.
2: And after careful consideration and weighing up the current challenging
1: financial environment, the Government has agreed to find the money through savings from other parts of the Education Budget and Education Budget's 2024 cost pressure
2: allowance. This is an historic offer.
0: That was Education Minister Jantinetti announcing today that the Government has accepted the recommendations of the arbitration panel for teachers to receive a 14.5% increased pay. Paul Stevens PPTA Auckland Regional Chair with us Kia ora, Paul
3: Annapolis. Oh,
0: Your reaction to the announcement.
3: Yeah, I mean the reaction is one of relief. <laughs> it's been it's been over a year that we've been either in negotiations or pre-negotiations. And everyone knows that there's been a real fight, um, really, between the ministry and the PBTA and between teachers, really, to make sure that we can deal with the issues of recruitment and retention. And I think this does go somewhere towards that. So there is relief, but it's also bittersweet at the same time because, I mean, I would certainly make the argument that what we were putting forward um, was was the argument that we were needing to make sure that we were getting pay rises in line with inflation when we aren't able to staff our schools. And this isn't quite meeting that, um, but at the same time, uh, it is going further than the ministry were offering previously, and it is really good to see that the government are able to come to the are able to come to the table and meet the arbitration um, meet the arbitration r- recommendations at least.
0: What did you want? You wanted around seven point nine, is that right? Yeah, we were looking for
3: 17.9, but I think it is worth pointing out that that's across a three-year agreement. Some people kind of see that big number and they think that's a hell of a pay rise. But, you know, I think most people are getting pay rises potentially every year, and that's over three years. And with the nature of, of inflation, um, you know, that it, it's, it's, it's so up there for workers across so many, so many sectors that uh, that kind of pay rise was really all that was needed, actually to just keep up with where, where our pay's
2: been.
0: Okay, uh, Phil Taylor, how do you see this uh, 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 increase uh, for teachers?
2: Well, first, first and foremost, education fantastic investment by government. The most important investment they can make, and and we need to um, compensate and reward our teachers accordingly, and and provide them with a with an income that they they sustains them and sustains their, their appetite for staying in the profession so so big hats to that interesting to hear um that it's only just just meeting inflation though so it's not really moving the needle up but but on the other hand uh, this, this is a time of fiscal constraint and, and not, not wanting to add to inflation so yeah it's surprising they only do it every every three years it'd be, it'd be nice to see that. Uh, reviewed
0: every every year. All right, stay there, Paul. Let's bring Alexia uh, in on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, they had to do it basically before uh, Labour lost the election, didn't they? Because they wouldn't be getting anything out of National. So this is uh, just in time for them. You couldn't pay me enough to be a teacher, quite frankly. I think they deserve every cent of it. But the other factor is that, you know, we have, like, the third um, lowest unemployment rate in the OECD now... Uh, competition's tough between here, Australia, the UK for these jobs. There aren't enough, there's there's not enough, you know, warm bodies wanting to go into a classroom. So hopefully this may do something small to try and coax teachers to stay home.
0: Well, do you think that'll be the case? Because when the next uh, topic we are going to be talking about making that shift to uh, the lucky country, (laughs) uh, Paul, uh, do you Mm. think uh, this will make teachers stay in teaching?
3: I hope that it does. I mean, it's a really worthwhile profession. I try my best to encourage young people to go into teaching. But when they see the nature of the work, which has become increasingly complex, and when they see that the wages aren't keeping up, it is really hard to convince people to get into it. And part of the challenge is that when we do see the numbers um, who are leaving and we're not able to fill positions, it actually makes the work harder overall. And that's one of the really hard things. And that's been happening in plenty of countries. When it comes to teaching, just as it has in nursing as well, for example, where the work gets harder and harder, it's the, there are aspects of the work which are you know, what we can talk about as the emotional labour, which we don't always value in our society. And it's often work which has been done by women, but it's really, really important work. And we need to recognise how important that work is. It's the work that creates our society. And so it's important for us to make sure that people are valued in that but when, when, when the approach that's taken is one that we, we need to be not touching tax, we need to not have movements on tax, while also saying that we need to have a strong public sector, I think we really actually have to look at it and go, what kind of country do we want to live in? Because this may not solve the issues when it comes to staffing our schools. That do, is the reality. Right. And, the, uh, and the arbitrators have recognised that as well in their
0: report. Do you think, here's just a sort of wider uh, issue, because we've been talking, everyone's talking about this. Do you think that New Zealand society respects teachers? You often hear that the Nordic societies, they have a real professional respect for the teaching profession. Do you think mm. that New Zealand society has that or not?
3: I think parts of New Zealand society do, and part of, the, part of the frustrating things is that we know as teachers that we're valued by our students, we know that we're valued by our parents, but then when you hear people talk during, during the negotiations, for example, and complain about the disruptions, it's like, are people not realising that we're, we're going to school every day to support our students? We're only striking, we, we've only been striking because we care so much about making sure that we can continue to staff our schools. And so I think there is actually an issue that we need to look at there, because at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to have any other professions if we haven't got teachers. And it has been an area that's been degraded, and it goes hand in hand as well with wages. Because if you're not if you're not valuing it in well, terms of encouraging people into the work, then it actually starts to enter into a spiral where actually you haven't got the right people coming into teaching, and so people don't see the value you- in it in, in the way that they probably should.
0: All right, Paul. Very good. Thanks. Uh, here's, here's one here for you. Uh, we're talking about mid-career changes uh, at the end of the show. Uh, I gave up a career in engineering management due to burnout. Went to university, worked out what to do next. I became a teacher. It's the best job ever, despite the worst pay. So there's one for you. Good on you. Paul Stevens there. Have you tried your hand at teaching, uh, Phil, uh, along your stretch of your career?
2: No, I haven't, oh, Wallace, and no. I've got to say that um, I, I just don't think it would be me, but I, I really d- do respect it and value it as a contributor to our society and, and those, I'd love to see people encouraged uh, into it that have the right temperament and the right skills and uh, approach to, to, to helping our kids find their way in the world.
0: Alexia, you said earlier they wouldn't pay you enough. Why? Yeah.
1: It's just, look, as parents, the most important thing in your life are your children. And you send them to school to educate those children to fit them for the skills for life. And so there's a lot riding on on how they do that. And some of those parents can get pretty uptight if they don't think they're getting the best value for the no money that they pay, the tax money, when it comes to educating their children. Mm. And, you know, they they work super hard. They've got all these extra requirements. They, every year something gets added to the curriculum. They're blamed if this happens and that happens. And, you know, that they have to do so much more than just stand in front of a classroom and mark, then mark the tests. Um, there's so much more to being a teacher now that, you know, Adding things added all the time.
0: 18 past for the panel, Alexia Russell, Phil Taylor with me this afternoon, Uh, loving and company. Thank you uh, for that. Already a bit of response to this. Um, This is uh, from Matthew and Nelson. Yes, we are hoping to move to Australia next year. Both of us will earn between 25 and 35 grand more in Oz than here. Plus, Australian schools have a higher level of standards been in New Zealand Uh, is Matt's view there. Many states have a no-cell phone rule at school, which shows they are serious about classroom management and pastoral care. Well, what's us, uh, to talk about that, we've got a guest soon, but people are leaving for Aussie, the lucky country. It's hit the news recently, hasn't it? One floral wallpaper maker is pulling her kids out of private school, heading to Aussie. It's been an issue for some years, not new. Bromhead did a cartoon in the late 70s. A person boarding a plane saying, will the last person to leave New Zealand please turn out the lights? But this week, a study: one third of New Zealand workers are thinking of quitting and moving to Australia. Researchers from Massey and Otago universities found 34% of workers were either strongly or moderately thinking of quitting their jobs. With us is Professor Jared Ha, professor of management and Maori business at Massey University. Professor Har Kia ora. Kiara. Are you
4: surprised by these figures? I was surprised, to be honest. I was, I mean, my guesstimate would have been maybe 10%. So when it got up to a third of the workforce, I was like, wow, you know, I mean, and I agree with them signing the, uh, you know, encouraging the accord with Australia, right? Because we've got so many Kiwis there and giving them a pathway to citizenship. But I was afraid it might, you know, open a door and make more Kiwis go, okay, that's the last barrier that was holding me back. And I do think this is, it's just going to be another driver anyhow to to a challenging workplace for new zealand society.
0: Yeah, is this trend across all sectors, Jared?
4: Yeah, that's really interesting. It's all sectors, lots, you know, all professions and interestingly enough all incomes. So, you oh. know, there was there was someone earning, you know, in the band of 110 to 120,000. They didn't want to go. But those on one hundred and twenty to one hundred and thirty thousand did want to go and and you know medium income workers were staying a little bit more were going, so there clearly is just lots of dynamics and I think the example you were talking about just a few minutes ago you know twenty five thousand dollars more you know those if you 're on sixty five thousand if you 're on that 's roughly the median income in new zealand if you 're getting twenty five grand more. You know, you'd have to stay in New Zealand for a decade to get a pay rise up to that level, and and all you have to do is fly three and a half hours. Um, so I can see why it's so appealing.
0: How about you, Phil? Any design to take you and Fiona over to, uh, I don't know, Perth, for six or seven years?
2: Been there, done that. While well, <laughs> I've lived in uh, Sydney for for a couple of years. Oh, um, and uh, it, was, it was a fantastic um, experience, but mm. in, in the end we wanted to bring our, our family up in New Zealand and we have no regrets about that. It was, well, it's a great place to bring up the family. Well,
0: well tell us more about that. Why why um, shun uh, one of the world's great cities, which is Sydney, and it is a beautiful city, uh, to make the switch to actually come back to Aotearoa? Well,
2: well part of it is, um, I remember back then, this was... Uh, this was uh, 2000, uh, Wallace. That uh, one of the um, bosses that I worked with told me that the poverty line in Sydney back then, uh, poverty line was $150,000 annual income, because the costs of living are so high, and, and essentially, you know, kids had to go to private schools. It wasn't the confidence in the public school system that we've got here, um, and and the work demands were, were extraordinary. Um, so, you know, we just we just felt. Uh, personally, that, uh, that that wasn't the lifestyle. That, and, and, oh, and you lived, you, you had to commute uh, for an hour to get to work every day. So we, uh-huh. we just felt that that wasn't a that, that wasn't lifestyle that we wanted to have. We wanted to have the family, uh, more conducive to family. Uh, there you go. Interesting,
0: actually going the other way, realising, actually, mm. you know what? New Zealand ain't that bad. Stay there, Jared. Alexia.
1: Yeah. yeah, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Just so simple. And some of these studies... Uh, creative. <laughs> I mean, thinking, what does thinking of moving mean? Yeah, I thought about it once. I looked into it. I, I, I did a Google search on what my salary would be. I decided not to.
0: And then it says. Well, that, but, but, but thinking can translate into momentum,
1: can't it? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Mostly not. And then, and then it says, when asked if they consider moving to Australia, given recent reports about blah, 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 64.5% said no. <laughs> so actually, yeah, maybe maybe people are thinking about it, but not everyone is racing over there. You know, def- We're definitely not in peak leave for Australia at times. I certainly can remember worse situations. Well, is, is
0: that fair to bring up, Professor, Professor Ha? Because uh, actually the historic highs leaving New Zealand were in 2011, 2012. 60,000 left to live in Australia, a net loss of 43K. Wow, those
4: numbers are phenomenal, aren't they? And um, and that's a good point. I mean, these are, we just asked them whether the the attention around mm. citizenship in Australia had made them consider it, and yeah. and I do think. I mean, and and the other thing is the data shows that those who are most keen to go are those under the highest financial stress. So I do think you know we've got this record. Well, we've had super high inflation. Um, and And the you know and changing mortgage rates, so I think a lot of this driver is people probably just getting a bit desperate as well, so it may not be to have a yeah i 'm going to earn more money they 're probably yeah. thinking I need more money just to to pay my bills
0: well that 's a very good point, alexia
1: well, I mean, it depends on family too. I mean, I have a really big family, and I just can not imagine life without catching up with my sisters or popping over to see my mum um you know like I did today it was quite easy because she doesn 't live across the hubbridge um you know, that, that's the big draw, isn't it? Family is everything to some people, including me. And um, I don't have any in Australia. Yeah. No? It's a great place
0: to visit. So just just finally, Jared, uh, do you think an easier citizenship pathway, because that has always been the issue, hasn't it, making it seamless, making it frictionless, will that create, uh, if not an exodus, but um, a, a young couple, young people, they'll want to make their life in Australia and not here?
4: Well, I mean, it might be that it encourages those young people to go there and work. Um, And maybe we should be just a little bit less precious and say, you know, and I have a a 23-year-old son who's an auditor. You know, if he says, ah, I'm actually thinking of going to Australia, you know, I might say, hey, go and work there for five years, learn some new skills and a bigger employer than you'll get in in New Zealand, and then come back, you know, you, you don't we don 't have to say goodbye to them forever yeah. and, and as you're talking about that seamless flow, perhaps we should remind people you know you can always come back where you know especially with with family and far you know we would prefer you nearby rather than in Australia
0: very good point, Jared. Thank you again for you coming here on the program That's Jared Hart Professor Jared Har there. Um, now uh, i 'm just loving your um, your company, particularly around career switches and jobs look can't wait to talk about that with you at uh, 10 to 5, Justin says the last film industry job uh, I was on was Lord of the Rings 20 years ago now I own a blueberry orchard an ice cream shop in Keri Keri and I build ice cream machines does that not sound like a dream job Phil would you leave Tomkin Wake to build ice cream machines Hello. Uh,
2: (laughs) Can you hear me? Uh, Yeah.
0: That's a no? All
2: right. 27. I love love the idea of the ice cream eating, not the the machines.
0: 27 past four. A moral question for you today. Is it okay to pop an air tag into your daughter or son's shoe to be able to keep track of them? Say your 12-year-old is off to a sleepover. You give them permission but it's the first leap over, so you just slip in a little air tag into their bag. And if you did, is it better to tell them or not? Is it a great pragmatic safety measure or surveillance gone shockingly wrong? This from the Washington Post. All right, Alexia.
1: I am so glad that I did not have to make that decision. However, this is so interesting, sorry. My son was part of a study done by Auckland University to um, find out where kids went um, if they like they were measuring kids near big um, parks, which we were, and then in town, and you know to see how much they, well, how much recreation they had, yeah. and they low jacked these kids, they GPS my son, and um, oh yeah, that's really interesting. And when we got the results back, I was quite, quite horrified because <laughs> he went all over the place, and I had no idea <laughs> that he was riding his bike all around Beach Haven. And at the time, I thought, I'm really glad I didn't have to sit there worrying about where he was. <laughs> I don't think an air tag would really have helped me. He they didn't, didn't wear shoes it's, anyway. It's, it's
0: 10 p.m., uh, you're on your <laughs> yeah. phone. Where's you lo- my seven-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at the geotag and you're going,
1: what's this, what's he doing now? If you put it in their shoes, they're just going to lose their shoes. I a mean, great way to get their, their school uniform back. I would just have sewn it in their really expensive jacket <laughs> Is there a moral issue,
0: or you go, "No, yeah, this think, is great." I
1: think it's a moral issue. I mean, it, it depends to how much of a helicopter parent you are. Um, I don't think, as a kid, I would have really liked to have known that big brother was, form when my mum was. That's why you don't tell me. them. You don't tell them. Yeah, you just yeah. But there's something magical, isn't there, about a kid about leaving the house and mum doesn't know where you are.
2: Is there, Phil? Yeah. Look, one of my passions is is the whole privacy. Um, uh, regulation and uh, situation and, and I think we absolutely should be getting uh, permission from our kids before we do something like that, and we should be bringing them up with that sort of moral understanding about about these big brother issues but, well, is it just
1: about that though i mean he, okay here 's a sort of parallel you know you can get those trampolines with the safety sides, and we didn 't have one of those. we had one of those big old fashioned ones with no safety sides. They reckon that the kids who are on the ones with no safety sides learn to bounce better and higher and safer because they know that there is no safety net. So there's something to be said about not having a safety net, you know, rather than having a sort of a place where you can bounce off and mum can come and collect you from here. You know, those kids have got to grow and breathe and explore on their own. Some stage you've got to loosen those shackles.
2: Phil? yeah if it's if it's my kids uh i mean we basically brought them up as free rangers as, as we could and uh you know i was a 70s 80s kid we were told um to go outside not come back in until it got <laughs> yeah. dark and and you know no one even uh, Spend a a moment's thought, thankfully, about what we're up to. Let me ask you both a question then.
0: Let me ask you both, and I want to ask the listeners, if someone says, oh, my gosh, this is so wrong, I'm a parent of teens, OMG, let them be. Okay, so, Phil, your 15-year-old is really keen to go to their first party, or whatever that may be. Would you pop in an air tag or
2: not? Uh, No, I absolutely wouldn't, personally. I, I would, I would like to have thought that I have brought my kids up to have um, the judgment to look after themselves. Yeah, and, but uh, if you pop you need a, to let, let the rope out of it,
0: if you yeah. if you pop if you secretly pop an air tag into your 15 year olds uh, clothes, then you can rest easy.
2: Yeah, I uh, no, I'd I'd uh, I'd rather build a strong foundational uh, relationship with them.
1: What if their mates find out? Too, oh, your mum's keeping an eye on you. doesn't trust well, okay, you. Okay,
2: what would you do?
0: No.
1: No, there's no way. No, I, no.
0: Because it's just it's not, it's not fair. It's pragmatism. No, it's safe. It, and you, 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 you give them, you've given them the permission to be free, and you can sleep easy at night. But they're it's not a free win-win. because they have they an invisible
1: electronic tag to you. That you they have tagged that them. they don't know about. They'll find out. They're not stupid, these 15-year-olds. They're pretty smart
0: cookies. <laughs> Okay, your thoughts on that? Text me 210. Do you agree with me? Uh, Absolutely tag the 15-year-old. You can sleep at night. Uh, Or Phil and Lexi, who are strongly against it. Um, You are on the panel, RNZ National.